If we start talking about the early church, it becomes very clear that their idea of what it meant to be a Christian and walking in the world as a Christian, worshiping together as a Christian, was somewhat simplistic from our standpoint. Without a doubt, they recognized a truth that was recovered for us in the church, in the history of the church, in the Protestant Reformation, that the real focus of an individual Christian and the real focus of a corporate group of believers had to be on Jesus Christ. Even a simple hymn that we would sing, maybe as parents to our children or teaching our children at a very young age, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In reality, there is nothing more significant, there is nothing more profound than those simple little words, Jesus loves me. I am an object of his care. And because of that, he is now the focus of my life. In a more sophisticated way, we sing other great hymns that focus on the reality of Jesus Christ and his importance for the people of God and the church. One of the great hymns of the faith, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. It isn't just human beings that bow in worship before him, but all of creation, all angelic beings, are to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. So when we start talking about worship, our daily walk, what it means to be a child of God living in this world, a great truth recovered by the reformers and preserved for us today needs to be the concept that we understand for our own experience as the people of God. And that reality is sola Christo, Christ alone. Now for the reformers, it began with that profound and important truth. How is it that an individual is acceptable to God? And the reality is it isn't by works that we perform ourselves. It isn't by efforts that we make to try to live up to God's standard and expectation, but the reality that we have no merit to commend ourselves to God and our only basis of standing before him acceptable to him is through Christ alone, solo Christo, but the fact for you and me is that I need to understand this truth, Christ alone, to be the focus, Christ alone, to be the foundation, Christ alone, 
to be the one exalted doesn't end with us talking about God's work in salvation, but is to be the reality that permeates our worship, is to be the reality that permeates our daily Christian walk. Or as the hymn writer expressed, be thou my vision, Lord of my life. The reality that Christ alone is to be the focus of my worship. Christ alone is to be the enablement of my Christian walk. Christ alone is the one that enables me to do what is pleasing to God. If we talk about what does it mean to be practicing our Christian life, worshiping together corporately as the body of Christ. It is a realization of recapturing what systematically gets lost in the history of the church, and that is Christ alone. When Martin Luther made those claims to the clergy around him in his own day. And he said, we need to do away with the focus on all the relics and all of the rituals. And he was asked, well, what are you going to put in place of them for the common everyday Christian? You know what Luther's answer was? Christ. All the believer needs is Jesus Christ. So today we get bogged down with programs. We get encumbered with methods. We look at ways in which we can better what we're doing by principles that men use to build great businesses and enterprises. And what is it that we need in our individual lives? And what is it we need as we corporately gather together? The reality is, All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. It is Christ alone. Now look at how this is brought out in the New Testament scriptures for us as we look at various passages that focus on what God has done and how he has exalted the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And to begin our study, I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians and in Colossians chapter 1. Now, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the local church that uh, was found in that city of Colossae. It is also a sister epistle to another letter that was written by Paul very much at the same time. And the reason that we know that it is something that could be called a sister epistle is because Paul develops the same theme in the book of Colossians that he develops in the book of Ephesians. But he gives a different emphasis. Both letters talk about the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the individual believer and with the local church. But the emphasis in the book of Ephesians is the church as the body of Christ. And the emphasis in the book of Colossians is Christ 
the head of the church. For what Paul wanted to emphasize for them and is, has been preserved for us that we can understand today is that the individual who is giving direction, who provides instruction for the children of God is none other than Christ alone. There are under-shepherds and individuals who minister within the body of Christ, but the glory is not to be to them. The glory is not to be to individual members of the body of Christ. Like Paul could tell the church in Corinth, what do you have that you haven't received? Your abilities are God-given graces. Your spiritual enablement are provided by the sovereign good pleasure of the Lord. And why are they done that way? That no one should brag or boast about himself, but the glory is to Christ. So how does Paul develop this in the book of Colossians? Notice in chapter 1, as Paul is giving his uh, prayer and praise to God the Father... For what he has done, verse 12, he says, I am giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's the state we were in. And what has he done? He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And who is this one who has accomplished this great redemption, who has provided us with the forgiveness of sins, who accomplished a work on behalf of unworthy sinners? Why, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and God says that in him all things hold together, and he is the head. In other words, he is the source of the body, the image behind the idea of head. He is also the one in charge of the body, the one who is the ruler over the body. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself might what? What does he say? That he might have preeminence. He might have first place. The whole point he is making is that when you and I think of our daily walk as a Christian, when we think of the blessings we have of gathering together with those of like precious faith as the body of Christ corporately gathering, what needs to be evident? That the preeminence, that the first place, that the priority belongs to Jesus Christ. God has so worked that as God the Son humbled himself 
took to himself human flesh, even though he is the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things, he has identified himself with the church for the very purpose that he is the one that has the preeminence, that he is the one that has first place, that he is the priority for God's people. This Lord of the universe, who is the sovereign ruler of all, is the one who is to be the principal focus of God's people in worship. So we can get sidetracked. We can begin to make another member of the Trinity our focus. And no one wants to minimize the importance of God the Father or the importance of God the Spirit. It's all part of that one triune God that we worship through God the Son, Jesus Christ. But when Jesus spoke of sending to the church, to his people, another comforter, a paraclete that would be just like him, guess what he said the ministry would be? of the third person of the Trinity or of God the Spirit. It wouldn't be to focus on himself. It wouldn't be to cause people to occupy themselves with the Spirit of God. He was given to cause people to focus on the person of Christ and on his glory. A church that is a New Testament church a church that is following the pattern of God's design for the church, the experience of a child of God in his individual walk with the Lord is a group or an individual that is solo Christo, that is focused on Christ alone and his honor and his glory. He has so worked that this one, Jesus Christ, is to have the preeminence in all things. Now, the implications of all of that flow to the work that he performs. If you would turn with me to the book of Galatians. Remember, the book of Galatians has another epistle that is similar to it as far as its emphasis, and that would be the book of Romans. And it shouldn't surprise us that the book of Romans and the book of Galatians were the two principal epistles that were real foundational and key for the reformers back in the 1500s as they were returning the focus of God's people to Christ alone. The the thought or theme in both of those letters is justification by faith alone. The difference is, in the book of Romans, Paul is declaring that great theological truth with all of its implications. But in the book of Galatians, in this fiery little epistle, he is defending this concept of by faith alone. And one of the commentaries that I read concerning the book of Galatians, I thought made a very astute observation, one that we ought to remember in our own experience, as well as as we study the book of Galatians, 
and for our study today. He stated that as Paul defends the great doctrine of justification by faith alone, no matter how he begins to uh, develop that topic, he always returns to Christ and the cross. And so we find at the end of the epistle where Paul stating about his own experience in contrast Verse 14 of chapter 6. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. It is a recognition that God has done a work through Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ, that no human being either desires or is capable of performing for himself. Please notice how this verse begins. What's its first word? But. Which means I am giving you a contrast. I am showing you something distinctively different. And what's the difference that he is describing? Well, in the immediate context, he's talking about the problem of individuals who were perverting the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ and of salvation in him. And these were known as the Judaizers. And these were the individuals who would come along and say something to the effect, well, you know, it is important to trust Christ, but that's not sufficient. Something more is needed if you're going to be acceptable to God. And what it is, is that you have to follow the law of Moses. You have to follow the stipulations of the old covenant. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear throughout this epistle that it is Christ alone that saves us. It is Christ alone that causes us to grow and develop in Jesus Christ, in our walk with God. In fact, in the third chapter, he says, you know, I'm scratching my head about you. You started your Christian walk the way you should. You were focused on Christ alone. But then you started adding the law. And you started saying, Individuals are telling me I I need to keep the law to mature in Christ. I need to keep the law to be acceptable to God. He says, who's put you under a spell? Who's bewitched you? Did you enter into this relationship by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, isn't the reality that my acceptance with God is by faith alone. So now, are you so foolish that you begin by one principle, trusting God to do for you what you can't do for yourself, that you're now going to live the Christian life by a different principle, by things that I can do to try to mature myself in Christ? And the answer is, as the Old Testament taught, Found in the book of Zechariah, Paul describes it again in the New Testament. If you're a righteous man or woman, a just individual in the eyes of God, 
The just shall live, how? By faith. The same principle that you enter into this relationship with God is the principle that you live by each day. The focus and the foundation is on Jesus Christ. Now, eventually, we'll get to Hebrews 12, where it talks to us there about running the race that is set before us, and where are your eyes to focus? Looking to Moses, looking to the law, looking to your sin, looking to your failures. None of that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. And what I need to understand is that I begin this relationship with God by depending upon him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. As I walk each day, I look at what he says I'm to do with my life. I am depending upon God to work within me that which I cannot do for myself. As soon as you start embracing different principles or programs or rules and regulations to try to say this is how I become a good Christian or how I mature as a Christian, your standard is too low. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. And the only way that'll become an increasing reality in my experience as a husband is God working within me. I am trusting him to make me more like Christ in that relationship. Love one another. Forgive one another. What's the standard? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And when you start putting up your own little ideas and programs and principles. This is how I'll be more loving. This is how I'll be more forgiving. You have fallen short of the divine standard. The just shall live by faith. And it's all based on the fact if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God has actually done a work And the reality is, instead of boasting about my religion like the Judaizers were, the previous couple verses, instead of thinking that because of my efforts, I'm impressing people and maybe somehow God's impressed in what I'm doing as well, what is the desire in all of that? To gain a reputation for myself instead of in true humility wanting all the glory to be to Christ. And so, far be it for me, says Paul, meganoita, not the right way of thinking, that I should ever boast about anything except what? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That cross through which the world has been crucified to me. And the idea of the world being crucified to me and me to the world means 
God has made a great separation between myself and the world. I'm no longer associated with that entity that is under the condemnation of God and will yet be judged by him. He has put me into a different classification. And it didn't happen to me because I was a Gentile. It didn't happen to me because I was a Jew. Circumcision doesn't mean anything. Uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But what really matters Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? The reality is Christ is the foundation of my acceptance with God. And Christ continues to be the focus of my walk with God. All glory be to Christ. And as we think about our individual lives, as we come together to worship, we want to be sure we are not extolling ourselves, our efforts, but all glory be to Jesus Christ. It is solo Christo, Christ alone. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews makes that very clear. And we'll just end with just kind of an overview of the book of Hebrews that really ties in to what we were saying in this previous two passages. As the writer of Hebrews brings things to a completion, in chapter 13, he says, beginning in verse 12, actually back in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, the tabernacle, the sacred uh, tent, have no right to eat. Do you understand the point he's making? In the old covenant, who had the right to eat of the food that was associated with the tabernacle later temple, temple worship? Just the Levitical family, the priests. But here he says, we have a right to go to an altar that they don't have a right to go to. You don't come to God because of your Gentileness. You don't come to God because of your Jewishness. You come only through Jesus Christ. Isn't that very clearly defined for us in that first message given by Peter when he says, well, there is no other name given under uh, among men under heaven whereby you must not think of it as one of the ways. It's the only way by which you must be saved. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except by me. It is Christ alone. And so he says, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. So let's go and identify ourselves with him, bearing his reproach, because here we don't have the permanent, the lasting city. We're seeking that one which is to come. So through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now what's the theme of the book of of Hebrews? Well, the theme of the book of Hebrews is the sufficiency and the superiority of Jesus Christ. And if you want to think through the book of 
Hebrews and say, well, how did the writer of Hebrews develop this theme? He begins by first saying, you know, God talked to us in a lot of different ways in times past. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Do you know what he's saying first? Jesus Christ is greater than Isaiah. Jesus Christ is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus Christ is greater than Jeremiah. Jesus Christ is greater than King David. Jesus Christ is greater than all the prophets because he is the invisible God who has been manifested in the flesh. But he doesn't leave it there in the book of Hebrews. The next thing he says, that Jesus Christ is not only greater than all the prophets, Jesus Christ is greater than all angelic spirit beings because there is no angelic being of whom God the Father ever said, let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus Christ is the only appropriate object of worship for invisible beings as well as visible beings, for spirit beings as well as human beings. He is greater than angelic beings. After that, he says, now there was a servant in the house who had an exalted position. His name was Moses. And Moses was used of God to give the old covenant law. But Jesus Christ is greater than Moses because he's the owner of the house. And a servant doesn't stay in the house forever, only the owner. And so he is greater than Moses. And then he says, you know, Moses couldn't complete the task of bringing the nation of Israel into the land of promise. And so, because of God's discipline of Moses, he had his successor bring the children of Israel into the land. Do you remember who that was? Joshua. And then he says, but you know, if Joshua was the one to give people rest, then there would no longer remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And let us diligently labor to enter into God's rest because the one who has entered into God's rest stops his own efforts and works. He is resting in what God has accomplished. Jesus Christ is the one who gives that rest. He is greater than Joshua. He not only says he is greater than Joshua, he says, you know, Aaron and his family and the Levites, they offered sacrifices day after day after day, but guess what? Those sacrifices could never take away sin. But in contrast, Jesus Christ, by one offering, has perfected for all time those who are set apart or sanctified in him. He has accomplished the eternal blessings of the new covenant. And you remember what the new covenant says? Number one, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember against you no more. And number two, I'm going to take out of you that corrupt heart and put within you the heart of flesh. He deals with our inward sinful corruption. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He deals with our condemnation before God. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I'll remember against you no more. So how great is Jesus Christ our Lord? He's the one that is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
He is far greater than Aaron and Aaron's descendants and all the Levitical priesthood. And because of his greatness, he brings in a better covenant. And we are no longer related to God by way of the old covenant, even if we had been Jewish. The only way to be related to him is as we remember every time we partake of the Lord's table, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus Christ is superior. Jesus Christ is sufficient. What you need in your daily life is Christ alone. What needs to be the focus for us as a church body, if we're living it as God described for us in the Bible, is that all glory be to Christ. Isn't it that God has uh, highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name? That name that belongs to Jesus, he is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee, be it the beings under the earth and the demons and Satan himself that is rebelling against him, be it the elect angels and spirit beings in glory, be it all of mankind, whether it's a redeemed individual or a non-redeemed individual, every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we want to say we're a New Testament church, if we want to be sure we have what's essential to delight the heart of God and to be for our personal well-being in our daily walk and in our corporate worship, then we need to regain what the reformers regained. What we really need is Jesus Christ. He needs to be our daily focus. He needs to be the one exalted in our worship. And he needs to be the one that is praised and thanked for the blessings that he brings to us through one another for his honor and glory. No wonder the hymn writer said in a prayer, Lord, be thou my vision to know that my focus is on Jesus Christ himself. He said it as, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art, thou my best thought by day or by night, walking or sleeping, your presence is my light. Sola Christo. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you for such a wonderful Savior. I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ by which you have identified us with yourself and separated us from that which is still under your condemnation. And I thank you, Father, that you have not left us under the dominating power of sin, but for every one that is one of your children, you have made us to be new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so, O oh Lord, we boast in you. We boast in your salvation we boast in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one that you have designed to have preeminence in all things. And it's in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.